I'm Mordecai Sones, and this is your weekly roundup from America's Frontline News. Opening statements were made Tuesday in the trial of freedom activist John Strand, accused of entering Capitol grounds on January 6, 2021. Though he committed no violence or vandalism, Strand faces a maximum of 24 years in prison after rejecting the prosecution's plea deal, the first January 6th attendee to do so. On his website, johnstrand.com, Strand calls January 6th, quote, just the most recent political opportunity instigated and weaponized to target anyone departing from the regime's approved narrative. Strand says the government's intention is, quote, to further terrorize and demoralize the public into instinctive self-censorship, intimidating them from even the thought of exercising independence and free speech. Strand refuses to say he knew that the Capitol building was closed to the public because, as he stated from the beginning, he did not know. Strand spoke to Frontline News on day four of the trial. It's expected that at some point this afternoon, the prosecution will rest their case and the defense will begin. And that's when, apparently, I take the stand. So that's uh, interesting. I talk about taking a stand a lot. I deeply believe that that is very important. And um, I also believe it's important to take actions based on your beliefs and not just to talk about them. So this is my opportunity to do that when it is very difficult and can feel overwhelming. But uh, it must be done, and I'm committed to doing it. But clearly, free speech is on trial this week. Um, The rule of law, which they love to wield and weaponize against those that they hate and those that get in their way and those that don't comply with their demands at any given time, the rule of law is on trial. And um, I myself am on trial. Freedom activist John Strand. Kansas City's Children's Mercy Hospital this week has been accused of medical kidnapping, administering unnecessary medication, and temporarily blinding a child with a drug that her parents opposed. The saga began when Justin and J.J. Young brought their 10-year-old daughter to the hospital earlier this month to treat kidney issues. America's Frontline News' Eliyahu Tulshinsky has more. It looks like hospitals are getting more aggressive about reporting parents to CPS if they dare to question any medications or procedures administered to their children. Kansas City is the site of the latest so-called medical kidnapping case. Ten-year-old Evelyn lost her sight for three days when the hospital insisted on giving her an extremely powerful drug that stops the body from producing DNA. The drug is normally used to prevent the immune system from rejecting an organ transplant, but Evelyn's not scheduled for any transplant. The long list of common and dangerous side effects of this drug include blurry vision and vomiting. Evelyn didn't just get blurry vision. She couldn't see her mother right in front of her. She also wound up in a wheelchair and spent 27 hours violently vomiting. But any time Evelyn's parents asked for more details about her medications or their side effects, the doctors made her parents feel that if they say one more word, they're about to call CPS on them. When Evelyn's parents saw that her transplant medication was suspended, but not fully canceled, they tried to get her released, fearing that she might not recover from another episode of blindness. They offered to release her AMA against medical advice, but were blocked by a guard who put his leg in front of the wheelchair to which their daughter was now confined. Returning to her room, they sat silently as the nurses tried to convince Evelyn to take a new cocktail of drugs, each with its own side effects. Like schoolchildren reprimanded by their teacher, they didn't dare say a word. 
until, after repeated refusals by Evelyn to take the medications, her mother finally said, they're not leaving, you might as well get it over with. Apparently that was too much parental involvement, and they were expelled from the hospital for 24 hours. When they returned, they were no longer in custody of their daughter. The state of Missouri was. Frontline news reporter Eliyahu Tulshinsky. Meanwhile, New York Presbyterian Hospital is targeting children in a new myocarditis ad. The 30-second ad, published this month by New York Presbyterian Hospital, promotes the medical center's pediatric services, specifically in treating myocarditis in children. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention this July was forced to address myocarditis as a hallmark adverse effect of the COVID-19 injections, with the public health agency actively monitoring reports of myocarditis and pericarditis, claiming that reports are rare. An Oxford study published last month in the American Heart Association's journal Circulation found young men under the age of 40 significantly more at risk of developing myocarditis following a second dose of the mRNA COVID-19 injection than from COVID-19 itself. Epoch Times called it the first study that has acknowledged that people are actually dying from vaccine-induced myocarditis. Morticians in Australia are reporting what they call a worrying increase in all-cause mortality this year, not attributable to COVID-19, but rather to heart attacks, cancer, dementia, diabetes, ischemic heart diseases, and more. Several causes of this excess mortality are being considered, but not one of them involves the experimental serum forced on entire populations last year, with few more subject to coercion than the Australian people. The Australian Bureau of Statistics told Daily Mail Australia that the death rates this year are historic, as much as 13.5% higher than average. Romanian member of European Parliament Christian Teres this week reposted an expose by Israeli health and risk communication researcher Dr. Yafa Shiraz, according to which adverse effects of the Pfizer vaccine were systematically covered up by Israel's health ministry. Some responses to Teres's post implied that the parliament member was using the expose to accuse Israel of spreading lies about the vaccine throughout the world, resulting in millions submitting to and being harmed by the injection. However, many Jews and friends of Israel say the attacks on parliament member Teres originate within Israel's health ministry itself, whom they say seek to hide official misdeeds behind the specter of anti-Semitism in order to deflect accountability. Frontline News asked Dr. Yafa Shiraz to respond. I think all this talk about anti-Semitism is a huge mistake. And frankly, it seems like an attempt to divert the conversation from what happened here, the smoking gun caught in the hands of our Ministry of Health. So, yes, it's true, the smoking gun was caught in the hands of the Israeli Ministry of Health, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an identical smoking gun in the hands of all other health authorities in the world. After all, it's, there is no reason to assume that the side effects found in the Israeli study are unique to, only to us, right? We're not built differently. So if in Israel it was found that the serious side effects are not uh, rare and transient, but long-term and very common, the same is true for the rest of the world. So we are the ones who found the smoking gun in the hands of our Minister of Health. And this should serve as an inspiration, I think, to every truth seeker all over the world. It is up to you now to find a smoking gun in the hands of your Ministry of Health. Health and Risk Communication Researcher Dr. Yafa Shiraz. And in more Israel news, burglars and thieves rejoiced when a police memo obtained this month by Ynet revealed Israel police will no longer dispatch units to respond to reports of theft, except in limited circumstances. 
Henceforth, Israel police will be sent only if the perpetrator is still at the scene, if the property stolen was a weapon, or if the victim is elderly, disabled, or a minor. Otherwise, victims must now report theft either online or by visiting a police station themselves. Reasons cited for the new policy include 50,000 thefts a year and the consequent burden on police vehicles in light of a shortage of officers that began, quote, when enforcing COVID regulations were cited among reasons leading police to resign from their positions. For more top news and analysis, go to our website at americasfrontlinenews.com. You've been listening to Mordechai Sohn's and America's Frontline Doctors' Frontline News.